This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriolo, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We are going to talk today about the data behind Lorenzo Cain's struggles. We're going to figure out why Lance Lynn sort of rules all of a sudden, and so does his teammate Shin Su Chu. We need to check out what Giovanni Gallegos is doing. Yes, bonus points if you know what team Giovanni Gallegos plays for. And there's actually a Pirates trade that's working out super well, and I feel like we should dig into that. But first, I feel like uh, you didn't realize up until this morning that Lorenzo Cain is not having that good of a year. Uh, right now, he's hitting 253, 314, 357. That is 25% below the league average. Last year, he was 25% above the league average. Lorenzo Cain, uh, not off to a good start. No, it's. I was. I'll be honest. I was sort of surprised. I think I've sort of just put him in my head as one of these just like consistently good players who's aging gracefully, but um, really not doing much this year. Only four home runs, uh, hitting with basically no power, slugging three fifty seven. Um, the defense is still good, and the speed is still there, but. This is uh, it's it's a it's alarming, and it's kind of a problem because if you look at the Milwaukee lineup, they've got four guys who are hitting really well, right? Like Christian Yelich, obviously has been a god. Uh, Yasmani Grandal has been very good. Mike Mustakas has been very good, and Eric Thames has been very good. And that's kind of it. Like Aguiar has been a mess. Kane's not hitting that well. RC is not hitting that well. Travis Shaw, we know, has been a total disaster. And you know, Ryan Braun's been like fine. You know. Uh, it seems like they should call up Keston Hira. That's just me. Right. Travis Shaw still has options. That seems like a thing you could do. But you can make some changes at some of these other spots. Like you can find a better first baseman. You know, you could call up Hira. Uh, you're not going to replace Lorenzo Cain because, as you said, he's still a fantastic outfielder. He's got seven outs above average. It's tied for third behind Byron Buxton and Kevin Kiermaier. He was really good last year. He's been good every year. And he's, what, in the second year of a five-year contract? Uh, but there's some interesting data behind this. Like, it's not... I mean, it's sort of bad luck, but it's not entirely bad luck. Uh, you could look at the fact that he has hit into 58 hard hit outs. That's the second most in baseball. So uh, that hard hit out would be you hit the ball 95 miles an hour or harder, and it's an out. Um, only Marcelo Zuna has done that more often. So I guess that's a decent sign. Hitting the ball hard in outs is better than hitting the ball softly in outs, I would think. Um, but there is some interesting data behind this. Like he's got a 298 batting average on balls in play. He has never been below 300 before. His career average is 342, and I think part of that might be because he's getting a little bit slower. He used to be in the, the 94th percentile of sprint speed, and now he's down to the 76th percentile, so above average, right? But not elite anymore, um, which I guess kind of goes to show that it's still pretty cool. He's such a good defensive outfielder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you, um, if you speaking of which, if, if you look at his infield hit percentage, last year it was 11%, this year it's 6%. Not huge, but he's l- losing some infield hits and that speaks to the speed thing oh i'm actually glad you brought that up because i didn't know that that was the thing i didn't look that up um but if you look at the way his batted balls are distributed uh, he's actually hitting the ball harder or, or more often hard in the air if you look at his flies and liners his hard hit rate is up 
Last year, he hit 40% of them hard. This year, it's 45%. But the grounders are softer. So that actually makes sense. If he's hitting the ball on the ground uh, more softly, and he's maybe not quite as fast as he was, he's losing some of those infield hits, and he's got the uh, eighth most ground balls in baseball. So there's that. But last year, he had a higher ground ball percentage than this year. So it's weird. I don't have a good answer to that. But the, the, to, to go back to your point about the Brewers, is that like, they're, I mean, because of his defense, they're not going to, and obviously for any number of other reasons, but like, yeah, they shouldn't. But. Kane's going nowhere. You may want to hit him, you may be moving down the lineup, whatever, but like, they have options elsewhere. And that's where it gets interesting because the Brewers, they're in a weird spot, right? They are, they're right now, I guess they're, they're one game out, in one game out, but they actually have a negative run differential. But isn't uh, it only about like by one run? Still, I mean, they're, it's, it, you know, the Cubs are plus 64. The Cardinals are plus 15. The Reds are plus 48. That's so weird. That's <laughs> um, the weirdest and thing. Milwaukee is 42 and 36 and has a negative run differential. Obviously, some of that happens you know, when you have a guy like Josh Hader, you're going to win win some, uh, win some, win maybe win your disproportionate number of uh, of close games. But the point remains that like there there's room for improvement. You mentioned Shaw. I was surprised to learn when looking at Shaw last week when we were discussing about this uh, in the office that he has two options left. And I'm yes. kind of, I'm sort of surprised that he hasn't been optioned yet. But maybe that's kind of uh, he he did that's I, coming. He, right now he has a weighted run created plus of fifty. He is hitting one sixty seven two seventy five. 294, and as you it, mentioned, Keston Hira is absolutely raking since being sent down to the minor. And and that that line for Shaw you just mentioned that was his full season line, right before he got sent out. Yeah, uh, he has had 53 plate appearances since his return. 178, 302, 333. It should be said he destroyed a baseball the other night, maybe last night, like a 465 foot home run. So that's a good sign. But you could easily send him down for the next. It's not even that long now, six weeks or so. You know, until or maybe a little longer than that, until rosters expand, let Hira play, put Mike Mustakas, who's been fantastic at third base. I mean, they have options here. Yeah, Hira uh, is hitting 307, 395, 627 with seven homers in 18 games since being sent down to AAA. Now, granted, everyone is hitting for power in AAA this year. And the but, majors. Touche. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, here, obviously, this is not, he's not a fluke. He came into the year as one of the top hitting prospects in the game. So, um, th- and they have, I mean, you know, you mentioned Mustakas, he can move around. They have some pieces they can they can move. And with the way that um, Aguiar and, and Shaw have regressed so much from last year, you have to imagine it's going to happen uh, soon because they're a top-heavy lineup. But after that, it, uh, it drops off pretty quickly. Howie Kendrick. Howie Kendrick is a phenomenal fit for this team, right? I mean, listen, if you just say Aguiar is probably, I don't want to say he's not going to come back, but you can't really count on him. Right, Howie Kendrick's a right-handed hitter. Eric Thames is a left-handed hitter. Mike Mustakas is a left-handed hitter. Shaw's a left-handed hitter. That's that's perfect. I know we, the Nationals aren't ready to sell yet. Exactly. We talked about Kendrick on the podcast last week. If and when the the, the Nationals uh, start selling, they have a few interesting pieces. Uh, perhaps none more interesting than Anthony Rendon. Kendrick might be number two on that list. And if they do start to sell, yes, Kendrick to the Brewers sounds like a perfect fit. Uh, there's a team we haven't really talked about so much this year, and I, I think we should probably focus on them a little more because Texas has had a pretty good year. I know we've talked about Joey Gallo, right? Uh, but aside from Joey Gallo, I don't think we've really focused on any Rangers player. And when we were doing some research for what should we talk about on the show today, there were two different guys we thought, well, hey, we need to look into this. Lance Lynn has been really good. If you look at fan graphs, and you look at the wins above replacement leaders for pitchers. Number one is Max Scherzer. Fine, he's been great. Number two, Hyunjin Ryu, who's been great. 
tied with Lance Lynn. And that's kind of interesting because he's got a 432 ERA, uh, but he's also got a 307 fielding independent pitching. Now, I don't actually think Lance Lynn is tied for the second best pitcher in baseball, um, but it does go to show that this was a guy who I think a lot of people had their eyebrows raised when he got a three-year contract last winter. Uh, he's been really good. Like he is. We, we talked about him a little bit when he got traded from the uh, who was it from the Twins to the Yankees last year. Right? Yep. He, he moved to the third base side of the rubber, uh, and he had some ridiculous stats against right-handed hitters. And now he's gone to Texas, and he's pitched exactly 100 innings, and he has cut his walk rate almost in half, and he's kept the strikeouts kind of constant, and he's kept his home runs constant. Like, everything else looks almost exactly the same as it was last year, except he's not walking as many guys, and he has changed his pitch mix. Last year, he threw his uh, he threw his sinker 33% of the time, and it wasn't a good pitch. Well, now he's cut it in half. He's throwing more cutters. He's throwing more four-seamers. I feel like I've said that like a thousand different times so far this year. Sinkers are dead. Other pitches are in, um, and he's got a really interesting kind of way of going about it. His barrel rate, now remember, barrel is the perfect combination of exit velocity and launch angle, and if you look at all the pitchers who have had at least 200 batted balls, he has the seventh lowest barrel rate in baseball. He's only allowed 3% barrels per plate appearance, and the guys who are ahead of him, Mike Soroka, Max Fried, Hyunjin Ryu, Louis Castillo, Frankie Montas, and Noah Syndergaard. Also, Lance Lynn. That is... Like, this is a guy who I, I always kind of looked at him as being somewhat overrated, right? Like, durable, innings eater, never really as good as, like, Cardinals fans would have you believe. Uh, but this year, he might make the all-star team, and he might deserve it. He's had a, he's had a weird career. You yeah. know, he's just like, exactly. He he was fairly consistent, but just kind of, like, good for the Cardinals. And then it looked like he was kind of toast. And then after that trade, uh, middle of the year last year, he seemed to find, like, a new level. You kind of wrote about him as a sleeper. It's funny because I remember you writing about it as a sleeper as like, oh, because he he dominated right-handers last year and had like a crazy strikeout walk ratio with the Yankees, and then in the offseason when we got three year deal, you were kind of like, like a lot of people were like, what really? Well, yeah, it wasn't but, for big money or anything. It was th- thirty million, I think. Exactly. It looks like I mean, right now it looks like a looks like a relative bargain. Yeah. No, he's really been fantastic, and, and kind of going back to that huge disparity between his uh, his ERA and all the other underlying metrics. It's like, how does a guy who's pitching this well have a four thirty two ERA? Part of it is because the Rangers' defense has been really poor. So you could look at defensive runs saved, which say uh, they're the fourth worst. They're at minus 29. But what I also found is interesting is if you look at ground balls and you look at uh, the expected average on ground balls, it's 262. But they've actually allowed a 294 average on ground balls. That's a gap of 32 points. uh, And that is the largest gap in baseball. And I think, you know, Adrian Beltre is gone. (laughs) Elvis Andrews has been inconsistent. Uh, Odor has been all over the place. Like, it it has not been a strong infield defense, certainly. Cabrera has been playing a lot of third base. Um, And I think that's hurt, not just him, also Mike Miner and the rest of the Texas pitching staff. But this team has been surprisingly interesting. I mean, they're not going to catch the Astros, clearly, but they are 42 and 36, and they are only a game out of the wild card right now. And as the days have gone by, they've kind of gone in and out of that second wild card spot. Like they're still very much in this, which feels like a year or so ahead of where I kind of thought they would be uh, last year. Yeah, and I thought when I thought when um, when Joey Gallo went down with an oblique injury, that would kind of be the end of it for them. Yeah. They've actually, you know, they've been okay. They've won six of their last ten, and Gallo's been out. He's coming back, been activated. He's coming back tonight. Right now, they're a game behind um, Cleveland for the second wild class wild card spot, which has definitely surprised me. We can maybe revisit them on our on our next episode, but uh, it's. Uh, uh, the Rangers, big surprise, they've actually been getting a lot of uh, production from old hitters. There are only two hitters in baseball, age 35 or older, with uh, 
at least one war this year. Only nine hitters have gotten one war this year. One of them is Hunter Pence. And the other one is Shinsu Chu, who continues to have a remarkable career and continues to produce way beyond, I think, when anyone thought he would. A couple of years ago, it looked like that, that huge free agent contract he signed was going to be like a total albatross. And he continues to maybe not be a superstar, but be a very productive, high on base kind of guy. This year, he's hitting 289, 388. 505. Um, that 131 weighted runs created plus is his best since his uh, 150 with the Reds in 2013. I'm looking at Shu's Texas career right now, and you're right about the contract, but he's never had a quote unquote bad year. You know, it's there's no like Chris Davis season on here. There's no like 2019 Robinson Cano on here. Uh, he's had a couple of average seasons, and that's not really what you expect you're paying for when you give him that kind of contract. But that's it. He's never really had like this disaster year. Um, and, you know, the defense hasn't been great, but you're right. This year is his best season since his final season with the Reds, that 2013, that kind of got him this big contract. Uh, 289, 388, 505 this year. And my my favorite thing about all the underlying numbers that go into this is if you look at the hard hit rate, so again, hard hit ball, 95 miles an hour of exit velocity or more, and you look at everybody who's got 100 balls, batted balls this year, his hard hit rate of 53.5% is fourth, fourth best in baseball. It's ahead of Josh Bell, Cody Bellinger, and Christian Yelich. And like, how many bar bets could you win if you said, hey, who's got a, who's got a higher hard hit rate this year? Pete Alonzo. Or Shinsu Chu, and the answer is Chu. Like that's insane to me. It's it's he's it's uh he's hitting with the most power he's basically hit in his entire career. He has first time he's had an, an uh, isolated power above 200 since 2008, which was the only other year in his career in which he's top 200. Now there's there's no real clear like oh. Uh, wow in his profile that suggests like oh he's doing something really different like a lot of times we talk about these guys and it's like oh well he's elevating more he's not really doing that his ground ball rate is down a tick but like not enough to read into it but as you said you know he's been remarkably consistent that's why I think we'll probably see a little bit of a drop off in the second half but like since 2015 which is the first year of um stat cast which is the first year we have you know expected stats his expected weight on base his, with the lowest was 359, the highest was 382. He's at 371 this year. He's just been incredibly consistent right in that window and just kind of gone under the radar a little bit for like his career because he's been just kind of like really good for a long time, but never great. Yeah. And it's interesting if before the season you were told that. Chu would this have this kind of year? You'd think to yourself, "Oh, cool! You know they might be able to uh, trade him in in midseason. You know, it'd be an interesting piece." But now he's like an important part of a team that might actually end up in the wild card game this year. And it's hard. Also, he's kind of a guy who's hard to trade. He's got he's making twenty one million this year. He's making twenty one million next year. You don't want him playing the outfield every day. Yeah, so it's like it's 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 a hard guy. And considering how well he's continued to perform in Texas, and the fact that they're competing this year and where they're going, they might be in good shape to compete again. Next year, it's like okay. I guess might as well just keep him around and assume that maybe he's going to still. He's thirty six year, thirty six years old this year, and there's no real reason to think he can't at least continue to be a good OBP guy with a little bit of average next year. Since we are on the topic of the Rangers, and I'm looking at their stats right now, there are two other quick Texas numbers uh, <laughs> that I want to dive into. The first one is nine, and the second one is five oh five. I'm sure you can guess what the second one is. What do you think nine is? I'm putting you on the spot here. You're never going to guess. It's okay. Um, nine. Uh, something about Hank Blaylock. You were number nine, didn't Hank you? Blaylock. No, nine is the OPS plus of their starting catcher, Jeff Mathis. Oh. Which 
I know Jeff Mathis is not in baseball to be a hitter. He's a phenomenal defender. But even so, I, I'm I can't believe this is true. He's hitting 153, 215, 202 for an OPS plus of nine. I have no way to put that into further context in real time here, other than to say, oh my god, nine. That's, I mean, that's worse. That's probably worse than the average average pitcher. I mean, that's he's got 135 plate appearances. When I have a second, I'm going to go look that up, and I assume it'll be one of the worst numbers of all time. But I mean, Mathis is a big part of their defense, so that's I don't know. I just saw that number, and I'm like, even for that guy, wow. Uh, the other thing is 505. Nomar Mazzara the other day hit a ball that was tracked at 505 feet, and there's a little bit that goes into that uh, because what happens is he hit that ball down the right field line and he hit it up into the upper tank. And those kind of balls, it's like a huge red flag. It's like, oh, that's never going to be as far as people want it to be because it's like right down the line. It's not that as far as it is to dead center, and it just looks cool because it's in the upper deck. But if you watch that ball, it looked like it was still rising on the way, and that's why it got such a, a, a huge uh, distance estimate because it was not like coming down. It was still like on a line. There was still a lot of heat behind it. And there's some cool physics to that because what happened was a couple of days earlier, uh, there had been some some bad thunderstorms in the area and there were windscreens at the Texas ballpark that had been ripped and torn. You can find some really cool pictures of it. And apparently what that caused was this massive jet stream directly to right field. So he took full advantage of that. We we verified this number more than one time. It's it's something we're highly confident in, but it's just kind of cool. It's like, here's a guy who crushes a ball right into the windstream on like a 94 degree night in Texas. Uh, and that's where you get 505 feet from. And a couple of years ago, it might have been, I'm not sure if it was 15 or 16, he had won 491 yeah. at that ballpark in almost the exact same spot um, that was a similarly, it got some similar uh, uh, discussion uh, about the uh, the veracity of the distance. But uh, well, 505, I... 505 was um, tied for the longest that uh, we've ever tracked from StatCast. The, the longest was at Coors Field. Well, uh, t- tied with Trevor Story. Trevor Story at Coors and Field. And before that was 504 by Giancarlo Stetton. At Coors Field, so so there's that. Sensing a pattern here. What what I've learned about home run tracking is, uh, no one is ever satisfied by it ever. Like every time Stanton hits something, people complain he's getting shortchanged by fifty feet. And uh, you figure, okay, Mazzara hits one five oh five. People are gonna love that. And then there was a quote from Elvis Andrus. He's like, no, it was at least six hundred feet. Like it's impossible to satisfy anybody. Uh, I do want to talk about the the Cardinals for a second. So Jordan Hicks. Uh, just you know, blew out his UCL, which is a huge disappointment. He's so much fun to watch. Uh, he's probably going to be out until what twenty twenty one, I guess. I mean, at if, this he, point. if he if he has uh, Tommy John surgery, which is usually the expectation uh, in this situation, although they haven't they haven't yet to reveal the he's, he's going. I to. know. I'm just I'm just uh, you know for uh, you know the sake of uh, I'm not sure what 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 term I'm looking for here, but. Yes, we, they don't know the severity. We're assuming he'll have Tommy John surgery, which is generally what happens when people have a torn UCL. UCL. And this is kind of the worst time of year to have it because essentially you, there's no real path for you to come back right. in the 2019 You're season. You're not going to come 2020 back. Season. So he's basically probably out till the 2021 season, which is just a bummer. He was probably on the verge of, of, of uh, you know, has Chapman still has the fastest pitch thrown, right? Uh, no, I think Hicks. Okay, I, anyway, I whatever. He's, he, he's the hardest thrower in baseball and, you know, He's out for a year and a half, probably, and may not ever kind of recapture that. So that's just he, kind of he a does have a fantastic baseball mom, though. She is on Twitter, and she was tweeting about how much she loved them, and she 
likes it whenever I tweet about him. Uh, but anyway, that's bad news for St. Louis, obviously. But the good news is uh, I need you to understand what Giovanni Gallegos is doing. And I'm pretty sure I talked about him a couple of weeks ago, but he right now has a 49 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio. That's phenomenal. It is the second highest strikeout to walk rate of anybody with 20 innings uh, behind Hyunjin Ryu and ahead of Walker Bueller. This is a guy they got in I guess you would call it the ill-fated Luke Voigt trade, although they have Jose Martinez. They didn't need Luke Voigt at the time. He's better than Paul Goldschmidt right now. <laughs> There's that. Um, no, we t- that's the context in which we talked about Gallegos recently was yeah. when we were talking about Luke Voigt and talking about that trade, and it was kind of like, well, actually, the Cardinals did get a useful yeah. piece in that, you know, like, Voigt, it seems lopsided, and it probably will be in the long run. Yeah, but Chase like, and Shreve didn't do much. Like, But, I mean, that. they did. it's not like they got nothing. Right. In in return here, so Gallegos is really good. He's been one, he's re- legitimately been one of the more dominant relievers in baseball. Twelve straight scoreless outings, uh, during which he has sixteen strikeouts and zero walks. So this is really the big ticket thing here: forty nine strikeouts and six walks in thirty four and two thirds innings. Remember, back in twenty seventeen, he led the entire high minors, so that's double A and triple A, with strikeout rate with forty one percent. Back when he was still with the Yankees, uh, he basically throws two pitches: forty five percent four seamers and. 45% sliders. If you look at the fastball, uh, it's been one of the better fastballs in all of baseball. There are 239 guys who have had at least 50 plate appearances and on fastballs, and his has been the sixth best if you look at uh, weighted on base. So he allows a 215 weighted on base. The guys ahead of him are sort of interesting. Keith Hembry was number one. I wouldn't have expected that. Seth Lugo, number two on fastballs because the curveball is so good uh chris bassett interesting josh Hader that makes sense and hansel robles who i think matt and i have both always really had been big fans of hansel robles uh former matt is out in anaheim and doing pretty well gagos doesn't throw terribly hard average of 93.8 miles an hour but he's got 87th percentile spin and this is important so he's got a high spin fastball and he has one of the highest vertical releases in baseball. If you just look at relievers and you look at highest release points, uh, Javi Guerra is at almost seven feet, and then Chris Davinsky, Will Smith, and Gallegos. So he's getting a lot out of his spin. He gets two inches more rise than average at his velocity and three inches more break. He's throwing two pitches without incredible velocity, and he just consistently strikes guys out. He's done it back since the minors. Like I've, I've always been a fan of his. The whiff, the whiff rate on his slider is comical. He's got a 51, 52% whiff rate on his slider. So basically, like when guys swing at his slider, they make contact less than 50% of the time. Right. And I, I know, you know he's not going to replace Jordan Hicks, I guess, and the Cardinals have larger issues of their own. I looked this up before. Uh, over the last 30 days, they are like the third weakest offense in baseball because uh, Dexter Fowler has fallen apart again. Paul Goldschmidt's just not hitting. Harrison Bader has been a huge disappointment this year. Like I was kind of high in him. It just hasn't worked out. Uh, and Paul DeYoung, who got off to such a great start, has not been that great over the last couple weeks. And Matt Carpenter hasn't really hit well. Like they're in a lot of trouble, I think. Um, but there's, you know, there's still a lot of talent, I think, in that bullpen. Like John Gant's been surprisingly good. Uh, John Brebby has been pretty good. Andrew Miller has been, you know, sort of hit or miss. Uh, but the Cardinals are still in the playoff hunt. Like they're nobody in the Central has pulled away. And I think if you look at the National League, you say, okay, the Dodgers are like miles ahead of everybody. Uh, the Braves are probably the second best team. And then after that, throw six teams in a bucket, more or less. Like is that how you look at it? Yeah, you know that's the the Cardinals. I'm going into the year. I think I had them as a I as had a playoff division, <laughs> and they're they're a half game out of the second wild card spot. So even though like things haven't really gone well for them recently, like they're basically in it. And I think I take them over the Rockies, who currently occupy the second 
the second wild card spot. So, you know, there's questions of whether or not they're going to go try and trade for a closer. John Rose, who suggested uh, uh, Shane Green today, which I think makes a lot of sense because he's a guy who's controlled for another year after this so that he could sort of help them bridge the gap in the um, in the absence of uh, Hicks, assuming he's out for uh, uh, a year and a half. And then another name uh, I've heard is Ken Giles. Because uh, the uh, he's an interesting name. The uh, Blue Jays will almost certainly look to move him. I'm not sure if he has another, if he's a free agent or has another year of team control or not. But um, same same idea. Yeah, that, he's interesting. The other the other team in the National League Central that's uh, kind of fascinating to me is the Pirates. Um, they are four games under 500. They are not going to get into the playoffs this year. I don't think. I think they've actually allowed the most runs in the National League. Which, when you think about the guys who are on that pitching staff, is kind of surprising to me. Um, and they have the third fewest home runs out of only the Marlins and probably the Giants. I don't remember who. Even though, even with Josh Bell's breakout, yeah, kind of exactly right. So you know, if you if you talk to Pirates fans, they are constantly killing them for two things, right? The trade that sent Garrett Cole to Houston, and the trade that sent. Uh, Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows and Shane Baz to Tampa Bay for Chris Archer. And correctly so, right? Neither of those <laughs> trades look very good. Like, they actually look terribly bad. You look like you want to say something. Yeah, no, that. it's... Yeah. it's um there. It's the Archer trade is looking worse, but yeah. Although I mean, you don't want to wish injury on someone, but you know, Glasnow had a setback. So no, that's true. But what makes it worse is, I don't know that either Cole or Glasnow would have been successful in Pittsburgh. So that that's even worse than just making a trade that didn't work out. But that, the point here is not to murder them over these trades because um, people have been talking about them for some time. I did want to highlight a trade that uh, Pirates fans didn't like very much at the time. Then that looks fantastic. This is actually the second one of these, because this happened when they traded Mark Melanson and got Felipe Vasquez out of it, who has been incredible. Uh, When they finally traded Andrew McCutcheon, who's probably one of the, I don't know, five or so uh, biggest names in Pirates history, right? Like, you put him up there with Clemente. I mean, he's not quite that talented, but he's been that important to the franchise. Certainly, basically, since, you know... Like Bonds. Since Barry Bonds yeah. left, which was after 1992, he's by far the biggest star right. of the franchise. So they traded him when he had one more year of team control. This is uh, after the 2017 season. It's actually January 2018. Wasn't super popular at the time, which makes sense. McCutcheon was a huge popular name. Uh, but it just sort of seemed like they weren't weren't going to like go all in for it last year. Uh, and if you look at what happened with that trade now, McCutcheon was okay with the Giants for a couple months. Got traded to the Yankees. Uh, you know, Signed a contract with the Phillies. Was good and then got hurt. Here's who the Giants got back for Andrew McCutcheon, Kyle Crick and Brian Reynolds. You know, they were both interesting names if you kind of follow the minors, but neither were like, you know, top five all-world prospects. Well, look at what those guys are doing so far this year. Brian Reynolds has a, he's not going to make the all-star team, I don't think, because it's too crowded and he he doesn't have as many plate appearances as everybody else. Uh, He's been phenomenal. He's got a case. He got called up on April 20th when every Pirates outfielder was hurt, right? Corey Dickerson was already hurt. Uh, Gregory Polanco was already hurt, and then Starling Marte and Eric Gonzalez collided in the outfield and both got hurt. So they were desperate for anyone who could play the outfield. He's basically taken a starting spot. He's hitting 362, 418, 564. That is a 158 weighted runs created plus. That's really, really good. Now, it is important to note that he does have a 443 batting average on balls in play, which is wildly unsustainable, but if you look at the underlying metrics, his expected bat if is 393, it's still really good. That's because he has a 91st percentile hard hit rate uh, of 49%, 75th percentile sprint speed. He's made starts at all three outfield spots. He's not actually a great defender. He's probably limited to a corner spot, but he's only 24 years old. 
And that, right away, is a pretty good return for one season of Andrew McCutcheon. But wait, there's more. They also got Kyle Crick, who has always been one of my favorites because of his obscene slider. So as you may remember, a couple weeks ago, we put out pitch movement leaderboards. And if you look at the guys who add the most movement, horizontal break on their slider, number one is Chaz Rowe. Of course, it's always Chaz Rowe. (laughs) Number two is Kyle Crick. His slider moves more than 20 inches horizontally, which is more than 10 and a half inches above the average. Uh, and that's right ahead of Adam Adovino. That's really cool. That's company you want to be in. Absolutely. Kyle Crick has a 247 ERA in two years as a pirate. And this is my favorite thing, I think, 100th percentile hard hit rate. What that means is you do not get hard hit baseballs off of him. This year, 418 pitchers have allowed 50 batted balls. His 18% hard hit rate best of 418 he's allowed one single barrel all year that was when austin riley of the braves hit a home run at 106.2 miles an hour nobody's perfect obviously um that's a really cool thing but he's also uh, got the fourth highest walker in baseball because that slider moves a lot and it's hard to throw strikes with it i'm not i'm not saying the pirates have done everything right the last few years because they absolutely have not this trade looks like it's really good to get these two guys for for one year of andrew mccutcheon and the, they were actually kind of selling low on mccutcheon because he was already kind of looking to be on the uh, down maybe on yeah. the downside of his career but one thing i also want to point about crick is that the the pirates in particular have been criticized over the years for kind of being a little behind the times with the way they develop pitchers. Whereas like a few years ago, they were cutting edge with the sinker and developing pitchers that way by relying on the sinker. And then the idea was that like Garrett Cole left and started to dominate because he was allowed to kind of throw his, his breaking stuff more. I will note with Kyle Crick, he's seen a big jump in his slider usage this year. Um, he was at 26% last year. He's at 36% this year and been, you know, as you noted, dominant with it, although it does lead to a lot of walks. So um, it's just one pitcher. It's just one data point. But it is notable that he's seen like a, um, a jump in his performance with uh, concurrent with a jump in um, his use of his breaking pitch. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point to make because you're right. That does seem to be the common refrain. And I, I think that has been true in the past, but I feel like at this point that can no longer be true, you know, that everybody's got to throw the same kind of sinker because uh, that's just not how baseball works anymore. And I, I think the Pirates are kind of interesting too. They're not going to, you know, sell and blow it up or anything. But I, I do wonder, they've got, you know, Marte and Polanco who have been there, it seems like forever, but Polanco's still only 27 and Marte's only just turned 30. And you sort of wonder, you know, those guys have endless talent. They feel like really interesting trade pieces kind of in the same way i think of like aaron sanchez in toronto you know almost like change of scenery guys should the pirates decide that this isn't their year you know you could you not easily see starlin Marte playing center field in philadelphia no, totally like, Marte feels like a, a really interesting really interesting in final year what he's in the final year i think or, or close to I'm, it I'm, I'm, I'm actually pulling it up right now in real time oh so he is he is uh he has team options for the next two seasons. That's what it is. He's, he was signed for six years through this year, and then he's got team options for the next two years. And so he's he's and like they're they're not crazy. It's eleven point five for twenty twenty and twelve point five for twenty twenty one. So it's not um, it's they're not, they're not outlandish. And he is thirty years old this season. He's got a one oh seven OPS plus, slugging four seventy five. So like. He's still a good play. He's eleven for for twelve and stolen base opportunities. Like he can play any outfield position. He's versatile in that way. Like he's actually a really interesting. Now, now that you mentioned it, he is a really interesting trade candidate in a trade market that might not. Because you know it used to be kind of like okay, the trade candidates were just who's a free agent this year. But yeah. it seems that doesn't you don't get much for those guys anymore. Whereas like now, if you're the Pirates and you're looking, maybe I want to kind of like 
start things over again and maybe rebuild with Josh Bell as my centerpiece. Um, Marte is probably not a part of the next probably division-winning team in, in Pittsburgh. So, like... There, and there's a lot of contenders who don't need outfielders, right? The Braves don't need any more outfielders. The Dodgers don't really need any more outfielders. Uh, the, the Twins probably don't need any more outfielders. But you could see him either in Philadelphia or in Cleveland, I think. Although some of those Cleveland guys have been playing better lately. I'm not going to hang my hat on, you know, Jordan Luplo long term. Uh, I like Oscar Mercado. He seems fine. Uh, but, you know, if the Twins, or excuse me, the Indians have been pretty hot, they're kind of climbing back into that race. You could see Marte on, on a team like that, I think. And also, he just gives you options. As I said, he plays everywhere. You have not only like in your lineup this year, but also with like the club options, he gives you with the contract, he gives you some flexibility because you, right. you know, if you decide you know what i don't want to keep them um you don't certainly be keeping them for next year but then the the 2020 it's you have a an but you don't have to exactly you 2021 rather right uh so anyway i think he's an interesting fit we just don't think about the pirates that much in that way but i, I would love to see a guy like Marte or even polanco i know he's on the aisle right now and it's 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 kind of a, it's i don't want to say shame but like the pirates are kind of hanging in there i mean they're there are five teams in the nl central and they're all separated by six games like the Pirates yeah. are in last, and they're six games out. So it's like they they have been comp- at least com- competitive this year. And I, um, but I don't understand how. Like they've been out, they've been outscored by a lot, right? They've been outscored. I'm just like eyeballing this here by like uh, eighty or so runs, and they they don't hit for power and they don't prevent runs. Yeah, that's it's it's definitely it's definitely a little bit fluky. And they've also I'm looking at this now. They are 14 and 32 against teams above 500. That's... So there's any success they've had. I mean, if you were looking at the pirates being successful this year, you would have assumed that Archer was pitching well. And that's part of why they made that trade. Cause they were like, okay, right. we're going to get Archer and we can compete this year and next. And that really has not happened at all. So, um, I, I'm, I'm eyeballing this now. I have not paid any attention to Jungo Gong this year. 145, 211, 325. Yeah, that, that Hachimachi, as the kids say. Um, but anyway, um, they're an interesting team at the deadline because for 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 Marte and whether or not they'd actually be willing to kind of admit, hey, you know what, we're kind of going to try and reset things again because since you know they really did blow it up when they those couple of years where they got high picks, they haven't really blown it up since you know in like you know eight eight years now. Right, and they do have some interesting guys, and uh, you know Josh Bell seems like a guy you can certainly build around, and perhaps Brian Reynolds too. So uh, that's it. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. This is the MLB.com StackCast podcast. Podcast.